The text for the message this morning is 1 Timothy 4, verse 6 to 16. Verses 6 to 16. And we'll read that together. You can find that on page 992. Hear the word of God. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself, yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, after reading this text with personal instructions from Paul to Timothy about being a minister in the church, Uh, Maybe you're thinking that the spotlight today is just on the minister. So the only person who has to listen is the minister himself. And then perhaps men who want to study in the ministry, and we think of of our own congregation, Josh Peters, maybe there there are more young men. And anyone who's thinking of calling a minister someday, and maybe you're thinking, we'll see how our minister does, and we'll see if it's sooner rather than later. But even if the Bible is just a how-to book full of musts and and cannots directed to individuals, which it isn't, but even if it was, you you as, as hearers and readers still wouldn't be off the hook. Because when Paul explains that leaders who represent Christ will teach something and live as an example... He is really describing how we all should live as we follow the example of the leaders that Jesus Christ gives to us. But the Bible isn't just an instruction manual, is it? We believe that the Bible reveals the gospel of salvation. And when God describes what a good minister looks like, he talks to all his covenant people about the way that he has chosen to lead and to guide us through this world. Our passage today is one more revelation of the love of Jesus Christ for his people. 
It's a passage that points us once again to the, the blessing of the life to come. It's a passage that teaches us of the Holy Spirit's desire that every one of us could experience this love of God. That's the theme of the text today. And when Paul teaches what a good servant of Jesus Christ looks like, he is teaching how our Lord Jesus wants to be known among us. And he teaches us what kind of transformation that Jesus leads us in through the teaching and the godliness and the devotion of his servants. And I preach to you the gospel of Jesus Christ under this theme, Christ guides his church through servants who display the truth of the gospel in their teaching, in their training, and in their tenacity. We look to our text in verse 6, and we see that the Holy Spirit declares very clearly that servants of Jesus Christ, a good servant of Jesus Christ, will put these things before the brothers. And the word brothers connects us to that comparison, that imagery of, of the church as the household of God. And from the context, it could be translated as, put this truth before your siblings. God the Savior commanded Paul, the apostle of Jesus Christ, to show his son Timothy how all believers in Jesus Christ, transformed by the Holy Spirit, will want to conduct themselves in the household of God. And so we get the picture from these first words of, uh, we get this picture of a young brother in the family being reminded of important new things that can save the family from danger. And then he's being sent back by the teacher to, to lay out the truth, to put these things before your family so that they can see it too. And the whole letter, as you know, has this, this sense of, of life or death urgency. It's not an option for the, the, the sibling to go back and talk to his family, but it's, it's urgent and the letter makes it clear that Christ Jesus' church needed to hear these things for their, their very salvation. Because the leaders that were teaching them at this time in Ephesus, they weren't being faithful anymore. And the problem was that although they needed it, they weren't very interested in hearing it. And Timothy could be sure of opposition a good servant of Jesus Christ needs to have courage to stand up in the face of opposition. To call a sin a sin. To charge certain persons, this is verse chapter 1 verse 3, to charge certain persons who may be more elderly than they are not to teach certain doctrines and to face off against very dangerous men whose consciences are seared. We read that in the first verses of chapter four. Who are not afraid to tear apart the sheep. And so like the Old Testament prophets when they were sent out and, and told that when they preached they would face opposition, Timothy as well hears similar instruction from the apostle Paul. And he says, go out, and preach the truth, even though there will be opposition. It may not be easy to see on the outside, but the, the false 
teachings of those who have departed from the faith or who are maybe already in the congregation and who are departing from the faith. Those who constantly undermine the gospel in an attempt to control weak-minded members, sometimes it can be in their, their own families. Well, this opposition, it can take its toll on the mind and the spirit of the leaders that Jesus Christ appoints to this task. And that is why Paul is so clear in his instruction that a good servant of Jesus Christ was not to fear men. It was not to, to, to fear the opinions of others, but it was to serve Jesus Christ alone. Jesus Christ was to be seen in the midst of the congregation through this servant. And as we hear Paul's words to Timothy in verse 11, command and teach these things, our prayers as congregation go to our leaders. They go to the servants of the word of God that, that he has given to us. And we pray, we pray, may they also command and teach these things. So what are these things that good servants of Jesus Christ must teach for the well-being and the benefit of the church? Well, in verse 6, these things, the words these things, clearly refers to the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ that must not be taken away or abused. In verse 11, the words these things are related to the trustworthy saying that godliness is of the utmost importance for the church. In other places in 1 Timothy, these things concern the, the message about how men and women must conduct themselves in the house of God, whether, whether office bearers or not, or whether men or women. And so it appears that if we were to meet Paul and, and ask him, what do you mean by, by these things? He would reply, well, everything I've been saying, which you may remember was summarized in chapter 1, verse 4, when I talked about the stewardship of God that is by faith, that, that plan, that, that overarching arrangement of God to save sinners through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ wants his church to know her important role in the world as pillar and foundation of the truth. Command and teach these things without fear of those who oppose you, and you will be a good servant of Jesus Christ. And when you read through these verses together, you noticed how many imperatives were used. The word, the word imperative, the commanding words, how many commanding words were used. And the Holy Spirit reveals to us in this that in the first place, displaying the truth of the gospel in the teaching must be done. It has to be done in order to save both the teacher and the hearer. That's what you see in verse 16. Like a watchman on the wall who warns the city of an, an invading enemy like Ezekiel 33. Or like a soldier in the army who alerts his squadron that the commander is, is leading them off track. 
Good servants of Jesus Christ are necessary to urgently warn against false teachers and to defend the well-being of the congregation so that everyone can have the full experience of Jesus Christ's work for them, the benefits of our faith. In the second place, the repeated imperatives, the commanding words, show that it is not easy for men to be good servants of Jesus Christ. And so many leaders have a tendency to get distracted, like we see in verse 7, they get distracted by, by myths, irreverent stories, quarrels and, and quarrels. They have a, a tendency to lose heart. Verse 12 talks about people despising the good servants because of their age. They have a tendency to neglect the gift they have received, like we see in verse 14. They have a tendency to give up rather than persist, like Paul commands again in verse 16. And that is why Paul says that, that servants who put these things before the brothers show that they are like Timothy, trained in words of faith and of the good doctrine that he followed. And we see that in the second point, that good servants display the truth of the gospel in their training. Training is an important part of every Christian's life and not just the ministers of the word. And Paul uses this imagery of the life of an athlete in many different situations to encourage every one of us and to illustrate the importance of preparation. And the first time that Paul uses the word train, you can see that in verse 6, being trained in the words of faith. That word there, it means being nourished, being brought up in something. And then we can think of an athlete who carefully is evaluating the food that he eats in order to ensure that his diet will help him in his competition. In the same way, even before they meet their opponents on the field, Good servants of Jesus Christ need, first of all, to evaluate their diet. And this diet is, is a responsibility of, of many people in the lives of, of the young men who serve as servants, as, as men who serve as servants, not always just young men. And what can be better to make a person ready to put the truth before the brothers than being brought up in the faith with the nourishment provided by faithful parents and teachers and brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. And if you look at the life of Timothy, you see that he received instructions in the Holy Scriptures, at 2 Timothy 3, verse 15, already from infancy, under the teaching of his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice. That's 2 Timothy 1, verse 5. He learnt the words of the faith. That's a reference to the words of Jesus Christ and the gospel proclamation of the apostles. And he sat under the teaching and under the letters of the apostle Paul. He learnt the good doctrine, which stands in opposition to the different doctrines that were being taught and, and the teachings of demons that you read about in chapter 4, verse 1 the teachings that were raging in the church. 
And so the Holy Spirit was, was guiding him since infancy, giving him a diet, nourishment, this training that he needed to serve the Lord as a good servant. Timothy would show that he was properly nourished and trained when he put these things before the brothers. He would have to know what these things were, be willing to put them before the brothers. And as we think about this connection between the servant's spiritual training and then his, his teaching, we are reminded also as a congregation about how important it is to continue to bring up our children in the good doctrine and in the words of the faith. The future of the church's well-being depends on it. We pray that God will raise up more servants of Jesus Christ to serve his church, to serve the world. And we can see the importance of, of reading the Bible and praying with our children. We can see the importance of, of participating in the Bible studies. This, after, this morning there'll be presentation of different Bible studies and, and we see the importance of them for the well-being of the church. It's to do with our diet. It's to do with nourishment. It's to do with training. Tuesday, we started with catechism instruction that was emphasized again how important this is. The nourishment in the word, the training in the words of the faith. And we as a congregation can embrace that as the leaders display the truth of the gospel and this emphasis on the training. And the second time Paul uses the word faith, he uses a word that is related to the word gym, gymnasium. Now the training, the word training reminds us of athletes who are rehearsing and practicing what they would do in different scenarios of a real competition. A healthy diet just gives you the option to compete. But an athlete must also learn to avoid distractions, avoid wasting energy on doing the wrong things, and learning the skills of his sport. And Timothy must not just rest on what he has already learned, but Paul tells him to move further, to, to train more, to stay focused on winning the race. And once again, he, he warns about these irreverent, silly myths. And he uses language that shows that the myths were probably fanciful stories from pagan religions that were passed by from gullible elderly women. The word used specifically points to, to elderly women, old wives passing on these, these superstitions. He says, don't, don't get distracted by those stories. Focus on godliness. Good servants of Jesus Christ who are called to display the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, they will stay focused. They will train themselves in godliness. So what does that mean? What does it mean to train yourself in godliness? It means not only to have godliness as your goal, but also to get good at being godly by being godly. 
Spiritual exercises is, is a way that has been referred to in some of the, the older documents in the church. If you look, the spiritual exercises, that repeated immersion in godliness. Every time there is a decision that you have to make or a word that you have to speak or, or a thought that has you have in your mind or something you do, it has to do with discipline, training. Paul urges Timothy, you can see that in verse uh, 13, to devote himself to these things. And then again, more forcefully in verses 15 and 16, he's, he's showing, giving us a picture. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on your teaching. Although they were despising Timothy as a servant of God because of his youth, Timothy was to respond not by saying, oh yeah, well, who cares? They said, to respond by showing how your training in godliness has allowed you to advance in the Christian world, in the Christian faith. You don't have to respond with words, respond with a godly life. You see that in, in verse 12? You can show that in speech, in conduct, in faith, or in love, in faith, in purity. That earns your respect. Train yourself in the way you speak, in the way you act, in your purity, in your love, giving yourself to others. And he is to give, Paul says, it's just like the athletes train in the gym, except there's one difference. You're to give more attention to godliness that an athlete gives to his sport. That may seem obvious, but it's good to pause and reflect on that because if you look at our society and if you look at our own lives and our own emphasis on sport, we see that Paul's words are important. He's, while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and the life to come. So Paul acknowledges that physical training, exercise, and sport, it does have some value so that we don't feel obligated or justified to reject it. When, but when physical exercise serves, or when physical exercise serves the greater goal of, of glorifying God, when it is not done just because of, of an idolatry of your body or out of selfish pride, then it ought not to be rejected. But it is something that is to be received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. But at the same time, Paul teaches us to think in terms of priorities. Priorities that are based on the value of what you're doing, the usefulness of what we're doing. You could read about this importance of usefulness many times in Paul's writings. Since there are many necessary things to be in, involved in and we can't do everything at the same time, considering also the stages of life, the question for the believer who is in training is always, what makes sense for me to do right now? You can glorify God playing a sport. You can extend your usefulness by dedicating your time to personal fitness. But if you have to choose 
between physical training one day or, or these spiritual exercises like worship services, Bible studies, prayers with you or your, yourself or your family, then Paul says you need to know that training in godliness is much more valuable. It's much more useful. If you miss some physical exercise or if you miss a, a sports game, you will not suffer the consequences very long because these things only have value for the present life. But if you fail to train in godliness, you will suffer immeasurably more because godliness has, is a value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. When we walked in, you noticed the text on, on the wall here from 1 Corinthians 9. It urges us to run like racers who know that only a few receive the prize. It tells us to, to focus, to control ourselves and, and focus on the imperishable wreath, making sure that our punches land and our eyes are tena tenaciously focused on the goal. Because good servants of the gospel, they display the truth of the gospel in their tenacity. The word tenacity, it speaks to us about the characteristics of, of determination, of devotion, of persistence, of endurance, just, just holding on and not letting go. Sometimes it's compared to, some people are compared to, he's like a pit bull. They, they hold on and, and they don't let go. That's the, the word tenacity. When Timothy was despised or he allowed others to undermine his authority, Paul reminded him that he had received a gift from God. When the council of elders laid their hands on him, Paul is talking about his ordination to office that came as a result of the prophecies that indicated that Timothy was to be given charge of caring for the situation in Ephesus. Christ uses the minister's call to motivate him to be tenacious in his work because his call is not just a call of, of the men he is serving, but it is a call of the, the good shepherd, Jesus Christ, who's working through his servants. His call makes clear his appointment by God himself through the laying on of hands. And to neglect one's gift and appointment from Jesus Christ, whether by teaching a false doctrine or by living an ungodly life, that is to rep misrepresent Christ to the congregation. It's the sin of hiding the one truth from God's people. And the words toil and strive that Paul uses in verse 10, they highlight that Good servants of Jesus Christ are to be hard workers. They display their conviction in the truth of the gospel by directing themselves to the goal and never giving up. They adorn their urgent words with a lifestyle that shows that they believe it to be true, the only truth in, in life and death. The Lord Jesus had promised life that is truly life. And so with the crown that does not fade away in their sights, the leaders of the church were called to be tenacious in their calling. 
It's not just a, a little a, event here that we come together. It has to do with life or death, eternal life or eternal death. Paul says that they as workers strive so hard, it's in verse 10, because they have their hope set on the living God who is Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Now the way that the sentence is worded is somewhat surprising at first glance. You can see it, verse 10. It's surprising because Paul's whole life and calling as a preacher of the one truth, the gospel, and his endless toil and his endless striving to call men out of darkness into the light, it would all be for nothing if the living God saved all people. The weight of the context of Paul's writings and all of Scripture makes it clear that, that either the word Savior is a word that must be interpreted broadly to speak of God's kindness to all people and his, and his offer of the gospel in Jesus Christ. Or the word all focuses on the covenant people who have all been separated from the world with the promise of life and yet obligated to accept and believe the promise. Or the word especially should be understood in the sense that is, or, or to be more specific in my words. And then we see that, that the text is telling us that it is really only those who believe in Jesus Christ who will be saved. And some men are, are called and appointed to proclaim this truth and to guide and lead those who believe in Jesus Christ in this truth because that is the only one that holds promise for this life and for the life to come. And so how does a, a servant stay focused on these promises of eternal life in Jesus Christ? You can see that in verse 13. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. That's what a, a worship service even today looks like. The focus of reading the Word and, and exhorting and teaching the truth of the gospel. And then the word comes to us. And then we're called to look at this truth and to put our trust in that truth. Since the Holy Spirit told Timothy to teach the truth of the gospel boldly, that means that he wants you to submit yourself to this truth, to, to, to hate the false teachings, and to accept and call only those who preach the truth. And since the Holy Spirit values Timothy's study of, word of, God, of the Word of God and its regular preaching and exposition, he teaches us that he wants us to study the words of the faith, to know the good doctrine, so that we also can be nourished and brought up and that we can bring up our children in the truth. And he calls Timothy to train himself in godliness. He, he reveals that he wants all of us to train ourselves in godliness even more, so putting more emphasis on that than, than physical training. And when he calls Timothy and Paul, when he calls Timothy to be tenacious, to, to be devoted, to persist, he wants all of us as God's people to, to live in the hope of eternal life with persistence, with faith, 
with their eyes focused on the crown of life. And so we pray that Jesus Christ, the good shepherd, may rule, he may reign in our midst, in our congregation, in our lives, that he may guide us faithfully through the servants that he gives to us. And may the servants model this truth not only in their teaching, but also in their, their lifestyle, in their commitment to this truth. And may we all receive the gospel with joy, with thanksgiving, that we also seek to display the truth of the gospel. That we're not looked upon as hypocrites who say one thing and, and do another but that in every part we may be immersed in these things. Amen.